From Connects Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses that are being built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, their successes, and how they built brands that will last. Maybe most importantly, we want to introduce these founders, brands, and businesses to the city they live in, to their neighbors, to make sure Atlanta and the brands that call it home can thrive for generations. Our first guest of 2019 is a good friend of mine, and I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. His name is Dan Duncan, and he is a co-founder and a top-down creative agency and startup incubator called Oust right here in Atlanta. But his story goes so much deeper than that. Oust is actually the fifth startup Dan has helped build, and he loves launching businesses so much, he's pretty much making a career out of it. Dan Duncan. What's up? Thanks for joining me today, man. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. In in full disclosure, uh, Dan and I, we know each other a little bit. Yeah. Go back a good ways. But <laughs> when, we made, when we were younger and made much dumber decisions. We, well, you made much dumber decisions. <laughs> That's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> That's true. But uh, it, yes, I say that to say that uh, I've seen you come a long way, man, to come from, you know, the <laughs> both of us... Uh, you know, little whippersnappers, uh, kind of high school to college age to, to where we both are now. And it's, yep. it's been fun to, to watch. And I know it's been a, a fun ride for, for you. Um, and I want to get into a lot of what you're doing now, but let's take it back. Yeah. Uh, you made the, un- talk about bad decisions. You made the unfortunate decision of attending the university of Georgia Go dogs. and, uh, y- you graduate from there. Yep. And, you know, take us through kind of the process. I, I don't, I didn't know you well enough at that point to know if you were, you know, entrepreneur all the way, Heck no. you know, were you, you looking for that nine to five or what was, what was the thought process coming out of school? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Uh, and you know, at the time I was graduating from UGA and today I would advise most people, like, if you're going to go into the creative space, like think very, very hard about whether the college education is the right way to go. Um, There's a lot that you can learn. But for me, despite that feeling like I wanted to go into film production from like late in high school, like I got into this film program at my high school, taught me so much. And I felt like I was really good at editing, actually, kind of storytelling um, through just video through film. Um, And so I went to college really to grow up. That's why I went. Uh, I had a lot of growing up to do, as you well knew at that point in my life. Didn't we all? Uh, And I'm thankful I had those four years to to make some mistakes and and just really kind of mostly find out who I was. Mm -hmm. I think high school, 16 and under, 17 and under, you're kind of handed an identity by your parents, by the culture you grow up in. And uh, for me, there was pieces of that that I was, I I deemed valuable, but there was a lot of that that I... uh, was ready to throw off and really to find out like, what did I believe? So went to college, got my degree in history, actually. Um, I don't think I knew that. Uh, and a gr- degree in film because I kind of was hedging my bets uh, from really from early on. Like my dad was a senior vice president for a very, very successful company. I could have gone the business route very easily and been 
given a job at whatever company I so chose, really, honestly. Sure. Uh, and I ran from that uh, from the beginning of college. I kind of my two degrees was a little bit of a slap in my in the face to my dad because mm. I didn't want to be the the dad who traveled uh, five days a week for someone else's company to make someone else rich. And that's mm. kind of what I deemed like his job at that point in my life. And so I would would refuse to get a business degree, refuse to take his name and any like path he had already blazed as like the path for me. Hmm. So I kind of said I was going to do film, but then <laughs> kept this like, well, maybe I'll teach high school history, coach golf and, and live that life. And to be honest, like there's still a small part of me, despite everything I've experienced and the success that I've been blessed with, uh, that still like is like, that would have yeah. been a good life. It's a beautiful dream. It, it like yeah. to to and really it, it it still boils down to what I do today. Like I want to affect individual people, uh, and to see those individual dreams become reality. And so, but in in college, the only way I really thought that that could I could do that was make documentary films. I just seen Invisible Children that like yeah. rocked my world. Right of like what documentary film was capable of. Uh, or like teach history because my, I had a history teacher in, in high school that, that changed yeah. my life. My brother has the exact same story, uh, you know, history teacher that, you know, just kind of put it all together for you. Felt yep. like you had an impact and that makes a lot of sense. And didn't, uh, didn't teach you what to think, but how to think. Right. And that was transformational in high school for me. So anyway, I'm leaving UGA with, with two degrees and a minor in Russian <laughs> uh, because I honestly was really good at school and never really wanted to leave. Um, and was scared out of my mind because I really did want to do the film thing that really was plan A to me, but I had no connections into the industry. Hmm. Atlanta wasn't popping yet. There no. wasn't, um, this kind of place or this like Pinewood studios that you could kind of just show up and PA and yeah. learn, learn the ropes. And so I, I remember, standing outside our like student learning center, which is like where everyone studies, uh, on a phone call with like the one person who was willing to give me an internship and the phone call went terribly. Um, and I literally remember hanging up like, well, there goes my like one shot. So, uh, yeah. So I graduated scared of my mind and then, uh, the next journey kind of unfolded, but I'll let you kind of, yeah. So, so you do find, you know, a, a job working for, you know, a production company here in town. And I know that was a val valuable experience for you because you got to kind of see the ins and outs of what a day-to-day -day -day in a small business is. For sure. Um, and that kind of, you know, it leads you to a place where, and I'll let you answer more as a question, is that what kind of stoked the fire for you of just seeing, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, here's some things I agree with here, some things that I would do differently. What does the next chapter hold? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I did graduate and then went on this incredible road trip, made a documentary film that got the attention of a local action sports documentary production company here in Atlanta. Right. Uh, and yeah, the, the, I, I hopped in as their editor for the first year and then their creative director for the next mm -hmm. four, um, really kind of guiding the storytelling process and, and how we were doing it and kind of the t people we were adding to the team and kind of got to lead underneath, uh, the two guys who were the founders of the company. And, uh, and I remember, um, they, we kind of were trying to grow as a company and we did this like personality test and the guy who was kind of doing it was like, I, 
I don't know how you work here. Like you don't function at your capacity when you are underneath someone like you're and and that was I was coming to the end of my time at that production company. There was some tension that was happening. The guy who had originally brought me on was leaving the company as a founder. I had become kind of like this like pseudo owner in the company. I didn't have equity, but I was on the, a profit sharing plan. And so it's clear that this season of time is coming to an end. I was, you know, the one thing I would like any entrepreneur to, to know, and hopefully like they can learn from my bad mistakes is, you know, we as a company, when we launched that company, had this incredible dream of like doing action sports documentary and really like showing people like what it's like to get outside of your comfort zone and putting that in the screen. And, you know, there were, you know, films coming out like Art of Flight and these other like kind of like monumental action sports documentary films. And we felt like we could compete at that level. And over time, though, we got married, we bought houses hmm. and the financial strain of a normal life started to take hold and we started to kind of sell the dream for a dollar hmm. um, in the short term and took easier jobs, higher paying jobs that typically amounted to like internal corporate video here in Atlanta. Um, and, you know, we woke up after five years, you know, only trying to make like small decisions that only took us off course by two or three degrees, hmm. still fighting for the dream kind of jobs. But, we, but we if kinda, you do that 30, 40 times, you're in a different direction. Dude, we yeah. were hundreds of miles from where we really wanted to end up. And so, and to that company's credit, like they, there was one of the founders who was very happy with where it ended up. It was a financially stable business. Yeah. Um, we had invested in something like in camera equipment that is still to this day being utilized. And uh, so there was a, it was a money-making machine and that, was kind of checked the box for one of the founders as it would for a lot of people. Sure, sure. There was two of us though that were like, no, this isn't why we got into doing this. And so thankfully my wife kind of um, had a job and she looked at me and she's like, you don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. And, um, and so I left and, but I did get so much, I got the MBA that I never wanted to get hmm. when I was helping to run that company. Yeah. Uh, and I did, there was a lot of things that I wanted to do differently that I didn't have the power to do. And so it definitely kind of stoked this, well, what if scenario in my mind and the best thing happened coming out of that is because I was uh, a s owner and seen as that I was under a non-compete when I left. Um, and so I was under a year long non-compete. And so I had to find other means of <laughs> making money and investing money. And that's the other big takeaway from that five year period for me, bro was, um, my grandfather gave me $8,000, giving me $8,000, um, to buy my first camera set up and really invest in what you need to be able to shoot and edit yeah. video. And that $8,000 had exponentially multiplied over the five year period of that company. Right. Um, and I had this kind of money now that, and a non-compete that, and this kind of light bulb moment that was not everyone has that grandfather with $8,000. Sure. So I have a year, I have a decent bit of money that me and my wife don't need. We're dual income. We don't yeah. live above our means. We don't have any debt. Like, what can I do with this? And so I had two friends with two different ideas for companies. And I was like, why not? Let's try this. And so yeah. invested in those companies, took a, a third job as a creative director for hire and 
kind of got four or five companies to contract me as their creative director to try to kind of lean into like what I hadn't learned in the first five years of the production company that I knew I needed if I was going to invest in companies was really the, the brand side and the messaging side and the visual identity and content strategy and messaging, all those things I didn't really have in my tool toolbox. And so I kind of took that job to really learn on someone else's dime and then, and then took those learnings and poured them into helping others start businesses uh, and help them build those brands over that next year. And it was honestly like the most fun year of just like yeah. taking dreams and seeing them in, in a 12 month period become realities. One of the companies that Dan invested in will be familiar to those of you who followed the show. It's O Sleeper Manufacturing Company, a custom furniture company founded by Georgia native Jerry Chanel. He was our guest on episode six of Atlanta Born and Brand. And he also happened to be a college buddy of Dan's. The two went their separate ways after school, but as Jerry prepared to start his career as a founder and an entrepreneur, Dan was one of his first calls. I remember he called me one day and he was like, hey, you remember that desk you told me you wanted? Well, I made it and I'm driving it to you <laughs> and I want to have a conversation. So he showed up with this beautiful desk uh, made out of an old bowling. Uh, and he's driving it to you from, from Nebraska. Nebraska. Wow. Uh, and uh, this old um, kind of bowling alley floor with two one f-100 doors as the as the supports of the side yeah uh and he drove this thing to me and we built it in my office and it was one of the most beautiful pieces of furniture statement pieces i'd ever seen unfortunately my house was far too small at the time to house (laughs) it so we eventually moved it into uh, a studio but uh all that to say is it caught my attention that this man knows how to grind right like that is my number. If I meet someone and they want me to invest in their company, the number one thing they have to do is be able to work harder than me, which mm. isn't an easy thing to do. Sure. I work hard. I love working hard. Uh, and so if someone outworks me, I'm like, okay, this has potential because I genuinely believe that any business is hackable. If you're willing to work hard at it, uh, and you aren't going to buy into the hype that, you need to be deemed successful early on. Those sure. are the two attributes. If you're humble, which is kind of what that boils down to, you don't need to be seen as successful early right. on and you're willing to work hard. You're, you, you may not be the next Facebook, but you will grow a business that provides for your family. Sure. And so that's what kind of happened there. And, you know, as well to different degrees with the other company that I invested in and, and, you know, Jerry is, you know, he built out, the Hank Aaron club like level at, at the new sun trust. Yeah. Uh, he's doing some pretty incredible things. Well, and that's, uh, you know, I liked what you said there too, because, you know, talent is a variable. Um, and it's a variable that, you know, some people can't control, but we live in a world with so much information available Mm -hmm. that working hard can, can make up for a lot of, uh, deficiencies in other areas. Absolutely. If you are dedicated to what you want to do, uh, you have, I think you have to have a passion for it, obviously. Um, or, or a passion for meeting whatever goal you're trying to meet. But the information is out there. The people are, are out there and and you can connect with people easier than you ever, ever could have before in history. For sure. You can learn. You can. Um, And I will say like, I, I shouldn't over overstate Jerry in, in, in one way and say I knew from the very first piece I saw he was an artist right like he had the art in his soul to be able to like 
So then it was just a function of can you work hard enough? Sure. And will you stay humble? There are people that like you need to be honest with yourself and say, do I own the expertise in this way that like I am an artist and I have this like vision for what should exist. And when I create it, it's not something that my neighbor can also do with a weekend. Right. Because weekend warriors and people that need to build something that's a true passion are two different things. And I think in the startup world that we exist in today, you immediately get a guy who's making beer in his garage on the weekend like yeah this is what i'm made to i love doing this and there i don't ever want to tell someone not to chase their dream but i do think in the gary v world that we live in today you have a lot of people ready to quit their jobs no doubt put their families in a bad situation and when in reality you're mediocre at what you do sure i think the number one indicator is do you have people clamoring to pay you to do what you do yeah not friends and family that just feel bad for you, but people who like see something that you've created and been like, I will pay whatever that is worth. I will pay for it because I, I want it. Sure. Or do it for me, whatever the service is. Locked in the purgatory of a non-compete from his old job, Dan made the most of a challenging situation. His dive back into the startup world didn't stop with O-Sleeper though. His calling as a creator grabbed at him and starting businesses is what he's done ever since. I had basically launched three businesses at one time. Um, I launched my creative agency where I was basically just a, you know, a freelancer consultant working as a creative director. I launched uh, O Sleeper and then like a new media company called Fourth, Fourth District. Right. Um, and that, that was an incredible experience. It kept me out of court because <laughs> I wasn't competing with my former company uh, and I got to grow something. But I think at the end of the, as the like, once we got past that, the first six months and I started looking at, okay, in six months from now, what am I going to do now that kind of like the chains are off and sure. I'm no longer handcuffed and I can go back to existing how, what a lot of people wanted to pay me a lot of money to exist as. Right. Um, and I didn't really want to go straight back to, to what I was doing that really, I had learned so much in, in that short period and I, I did have like finally find this itch of, man, there's a lot of good that can be done in investing in small business and, and being a creative who can step into a launch and then a scale season of a business and help them hack, creatively hack their startup curve. Sure. Because I think so much of that startup curve is elongated by not putting out content effectively not telling their story effectively uh and getting eyes on what they're doing if they're doing it well and so uh i kind of saw this like sweet spot especially in atlanta where the startup scene was starting to pop and film was starting to pop and so like there's these two worlds that need to collide that just typically don't interface in a lot of ways um there's a lot of uh what i saw was a lot of great mentoring like companies who would mentor other startups and then incredible agencies that were launching, but none that kind of lived in that middle ground and disconnect between the two. Exactly. And so I looked at that six months and I, you know, I just finished a documentary out in LA where I was kind of creative directing it. Um, and had come back and one of the guys I had hired on that trip was a great DP who also was interested in the startup scene. And we had one Mm -hmm. night at dinner and started talking and, Really, we sat down to begin to launch after my non-compete was up a company that would basically creatively 
invest and execute on behalf of small business or on startups. Mm -hmm. So startups would come in, we would hear their story and we would launch their brand as they launch their business. And we would do this. And as we sat in countless whiteboarding sessions, we've, you know, quickly figured out like we can't make money at this. So either we're going to have each individually have our own like other hustle creatively where he's a DP and I'm a creative director and, and then we'll just interface in just this one way which ultimately it's really hard to make money on startups right. or like in their first, you know, six to 18 months and we'll never probably get this off the ground or, and this was, I remember the like moment we were sitting whiteboard and like, we need to do all of this. We need an agency. And I remember Carson being like, well, why don't we just build an agency? Hmm. Uh, that then with the stated goal of, we will transition this into what we're doing. Right. Uh, and so that's what, and we were like, okay, first let's launch, launch the agency. So at my year, non-compete was up. We basically two years ago to today, we started beginning to iterate on the brand. Um, and we launched it 18 months ago, a company, an agency creative studio called oust, um, that was first a kind of film studio with the stated goal of then expanding into becoming a branding house as well yeah. and having those two verticals. And then once we felt really, really established and we had the right people on the bus for what we be- what we believe as like one of the most adventurous agencies in the city uh, who's willing to break the rules, who's willing to say no to bad ideas, yeah. uh, we said, okay, once we know that, and we've established ourselves and we've done work for the, you know, the fortune 50 and we've learned from them. Let's then basically launch what we're going to call now, what we call today is house labs, which is, was the initial idea and, and which is, you know, a end to end accelerator. So a three month accelerator and a two year accelerator where we, in, in, in those two ways, partner with small businesses to creatively hack their startup curves. Sure. So I want to go back to a little bit to kind of, the uh, the founding of Oust and you touched on it just a little yeah. but the name and the brand means something very specific yeah. to you guys yeah. and and it it uh I think it is the the differentiator yeah. really of what Oust is yeah. tell me more about the goal of of Oust and how it is different from from other production companies yeah so i think our like motto our like underpinning is this idea of staying wild. Um, we felt like we came in with our head, like kind of like nothing to lose. Uh, and we had reputations that preceded us. So we were able to get work through the door, but we very quickly established rules of what we would say yes to and what we would say no to. I think I, I very much saw that I took that lesson from the first production company and said like easy money can sidetrack us and what we're not going to allow ourselves to do, especially at the launch of this thing is to water down our brand and say yes to easy money. That's going to be easy to do. We cannot do it. Uh, and so we launched Oust with the name of, we want to help companies get out of their comfort zone to break molds, to break, uh, the status quo of what people deem safe and acceptable and help companies break the white noise kind of, you know, ascend above what everyone else is doing. Uh, and a lot, and basically it means we like swing for the fences and sometimes we hit home runs and sometimes we fall on our face. But even in those like failure, quote unquote failure moments, like we learned so much about what almost worked or what was that little thing that we could have done differently. Sure. And in those failures, I think we gain a lot of 
success going forward because we've actually like found out what doesn't work and in, in finding out what doesn't work you actually like get out of the the, the dangerous middle which is good right acceptable and we kind of try to live on the fringes which is incredible altering changing and you know um, also failure yeah but there's there you know i think there's a misconception that some that going and doing things out of the box is risky or dangerous but i think what's cool about oust is that is your wheelhouse yeah like, for sure taking the you know the corporate mission statement and making a, a video based on that is super easy <laughs> sure. uh, and is, you know, repeatable and is done by a lot of different production companies, you know, to, to make their clients quote unquote happy with sure. what they think they want. Sure. But developing a, a reputation and a way of thinking of, okay, let's remove ourselves from the situation, from the status quo and think about, how does this stand out? Because you and I would both agree we, we're drowning in content and mm-hmm. videos and corporate messaging. If you're not standing out, you, you the, the game's already over for you. Yep. Absolutely. So the other thing I wanted to, you know, kind of extrapolate from that with Alice labs, you know, you, you <laughs> quick story for you that I think you'll appreciate when I was thinking about moving back to Atlanta and starting my own business Somebody like a friend of my mom said, "Oh, well, you need to check out the Score website." I don't okay. know if you are familiar with what I'm Score not. is, but it is it's a resource for people who want to start a business that literally I don't think has changed since 1975. And it's just an online. Okay, here's your worksheets that you need to think about. Here's how you do your business plan. Here's this and that and this and that. There's no relevancy <laughs> whatsoever. And the reason I bring that up is I think people, especially in small business, tend to think of a checklist and they lose uh, any sort of thinking or or um, kind of goals to be creative mm. uh, and to uh, brand themselves well. I mean, how many bad small business logos have you seen? For sure. And to be honest, I think it's really it goes deeper than just the checklist as I've like seen it virtually every business that I've seen launch with a terrible brand or a bad business plan or just, you know, wherever their Achilles heel might be, it typically boils down to their business was never the dream. It was a means to an end. Sure. And so they come to a place like a logo or a visual identity and they, and they see the first thing and it's good enough to like, get it out the door right. and it's not the dream. It was just like, okay, now we can start making money. Let's, let's do this. Right. And that's not to say like w- one of the wins there is that you launched like, and I think it's actually one of the like downfalls of most small businesses is their founders. It is their dream. And so they never let their hands off of it sure. and they never feel comfortable to launch it into the universe and fail. So there is this happy middle ground where it is your dream. And so, but yeah, I mean, again, a lot of people go through the checklist exactly like yeah. you just said, <laughs> head to the score website, which I'm actually going to check this out because I'm actually very interested in uh, this kind of eight, might help you with your business plan. eight eight bit version yeah. of uh, oh, gosh, a man. startup school. But and I remember going the, th- the sad thing is I remember going through it and, you know, there's unlimited resources on there and God bless the people that put these resources together. Mm-hmm. But it almost convinced me not to run my own business. Mm. 
because it was so bland and so boring and so like pseudo corporate and cumbersome probably like and cumbersome crap i gotta do all this i have to have all these t's crossed and i's dotted before i even think about starting my own business by the way i just had my second kid and was like my family was depending on my less than stellar income to survive you know that was terrifying that's like that that pisses me off in some ways because there's especially in the today's the day and age today you know that or the Y combinators of the world or the Silicon Valley's of the world where you need to raise one million dollars before right. you launch and you need to have like this stellar like CFO and this yeah. CTO that came out of the latest coolest startup in order to like be meaningful and if you can do that like more power to you right sure. on you're the one percent but for the 99 percent of us mm-hmm. like the idea of this square website or the other extreme the Y Combinator, it's, it can kill the dream and it actually is a lie. Like you don't need a million dollars to launch a business. You don't need to fill out all these things. In fact, you can just create a proof of concept to prove to yourself, your families and investors that like this will work. Yeah. Uh, and like we just had a a white paper MVP that came out of house labs that in 24 hours, the guy who's launching this business uh, and kind of the music tech space did two thousand dollars in twenty four hours, wow. and it was like, and it was literally you might as well have been a Reddit post yeah. that like he just threw out into the world, and money came back, and this yeah. is his dream, and it's like, okay, let's do it, right? And and it did. It took zero dollars to do that. And I think you know, you touched on something there. The other thing that frustrates me, and thing that I fight against, because I. Ex- and I've got a supportive family, but your mom doesn't have to agree with everything you do. No. That's the beauty of being an adult. <laughs> so sure. you don't need her to sign off on a career decision. Now, I'm not I'm not telling you you don't need your wife to agree because you do, bro. Oh like you that do. That might be the only person you need on your team. That's a fact. But this whole like let me poll my entire family and my business associates I'm not telling you to ignore people's advice, but if you have you know, strong opinions from your family. Your family doesn't want to see you, you know, be poor. They don't want to see your career struggle. Of course, they're going to be cautious. For sure. Their predisposition is to keep you safe. Right. And intrinsically in in doing a startup, like it's not safe. Sure. But I'll tell you up front, like the first one, I we've already told that story, like fourth district, the other business that kind of mirrored O sleeper, like, has been successful in ways, but financially breaks even like, you know, is not the, the success we all deemed it could have been. Sure. It might be down the road. It still exists. It's still growing. That's not to say that we've, we've thrown in the towel on Fort district, but at the same time, like we, we put $35,000 into the launch website of that company. We had no idea how to monetize the web, but we deemed it responsible to put, to launch a website that was literally just going to be like posts that were just going to line up. Mm-hmm. But we thought we needed this custom back end and all of these things. No, we didn't. Yeah. We you didn't guys could need have that. Went to Squarespace and saved a little coin. <laughs> Squarespace. We, we were right before Squarespace, unfortunately okay, okay. in gotcha. launching that, but all that to say, we didn't need to do that. Sure. And so like, there are ways to launch a business that are where you do, you look, you iterate and you, fail quickly right. and inexpensively um 
But yeah, your family's never going to sign off on right. uh, this big, scary dream uh, when you have when you're paying your bills and you get to see them on Christmas. Like, yeah, that they never want you to work, you know, 60 hours a week. Yeah. But again, I think everyone does want the approval of those that they love and trust sure. to say, yes, go so that if they do fail that they're not going to be judged and, and, and you get into this and that, and that really goes into this cycle that I really think is the most important thing in starting a business is do not pretend that you're successful. Hmm. Cause that is the disposition is like, okay, everyone's doubting that I'm going to be successful. So I'm going to launch this. And even the first little bit of success that I receive, I'm going to blow into a hundred times what the, that right. success actually is. And then, all of your friends and family be like, okay, cool. He's good. And they right. stop supporting. They stop telling their friends and other people about you because everyone deems it their job to make, like whether or not they're doubting you, they're going to sure. deem it their job to make you successful. And the second you start to pretend and start to say, oh yeah, things are great. And you don't tell them like we did 300 bucks yesterday, but I don't know where the next 300 bucks is coming. Like, yeah. so it's a little bit of success, but we'll see tomorrow. Like that's when, when people, your friends and family take their foot off the gas and then you like, then you a lot of times fail and then you get into this cycle of, well, I gotta, I gotta be seen as successful. I gotta like sure. sugarcoat everything for everybody. And then before you know it, like you just run your company in the ground because yeah. you want to take, you take pictures with people pretending that things are happening and popping. And like you spend an exorbitant amount of time on your business pretending for it to be successful rather than working in your business right. to get it to that place. If you fake it till you make it, a lot of times you don't make it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, I do, I do want to bring in um, Atlanta into this conversation mm -hmm. because I know we are both children of the suburbs. Um, I have a, uh, a bit of a country wife and so she enjoys the suburbs still but the city is a big part of your business, your family. Um, and you came back here after yeah. school yeah. when, when you didn't have to. Yeah. Uh, and if you really, you know, if, if film was all that mattered to you, maybe you did would end up in an LA or a New York. Mm -hmm. Um, what, why, why did you come back and why, why do you live in Grant Park? Yeah. And, all of those things. I love this question. Yes. I never get asked this question. I love this question so I much. I know the answer to this question is why I asked you because I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta is the best city in the country, man. Hmm. Um, and not the Atlanta I grew up with, not the Atlanta that I knew or like, I hated Atlanta. Like when I graduated from college, went on that road trip, made that documentary, the plan was for me to live in Yosemite Valley and Yosemite Valley and not come back. Yeah. Um, to kind of just dirtbag it until I became the cool history teacher that wound up at some high school that had all these <laughs> pictures and stories and yeah, everyone fell in love with. Um, That's when you'd come and settle down. Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, and I'd come home with all of my war stories. I, so, but then, so my wife, she's the true trailblazer and like mm -hmm. the secret sauce behind everything I've ever done. Uh, supportive to the nth degree, but I, we had been through four year relationship in college we had broken up right before the co before college ended. I went on that road trip, not in a relationship with her, mm. but basically we climbed Mount Rainier on the summit of Mount Rainier, had this moment of like, I want to go marry that girl. Mm. Uh, and wherever she is, like I want to be. 
And so a lot of why I found out about Atlanta was because I came home to it, this place that she was living. She was living across the park from where we're currently living today when it was a place no one wanted to live. And we started, you know, I started, we started dating again. I would drive to her. We would spend time in the Grand Park area and then the Atlanta. And I just saw all the amazing people here and the culture here and, and, it just quickly became this like hotbed for this authenticity of, of people and trailblazers and these, I mean, I hate to call it like the, this new hippie kind of movement, but like there was this, like this group of people who deemed it, even though it might not be the safest place to be like, Mm. let's, let's be here and, and let's not gentrify it. Let's not just kick the culture that has defined this place out but let's move in and help elevate it to some level and i hate to say that this place has become gentrified to some level but we fell in love with this place before it was ever that um and atlanta still carries that culture of trailblazers and people who are willing to take risks and move into unknown places and dangerous places and experiencing that and having trees and walkability and yeah. a slower pace of life life than New York or LA. My wife works in LA every single week. We know that life. It's fun to go visit. My family's from Denver, Colorado. Like I love the live to work mentality sure. uh, or work to live mentality where like everyone's dreams is not what they do nine to five, but like the snowboarding on the weekends, like I get that. I think that's really fun, but in Atlanta, here, in this place, you have people who are living their dreams every single day and not playing by the rules. And that, to me, like, New York has its rules. Yeah. L.A. has its rules. Seattle has its rules. Atlanta, there are, there's no rules here. Yeah. It hasn't existed long enough for ha- to have these, like, power centers where one or two or three people control what's happening in this city it's happening and it's yeah. growing and it's becoming that unfortunately, but there's still so much space to experiment and try things and pop up shops and, 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 you know, MVPs of a uh, heck a popsicle company that just out of nowhere decides that they can do popsicles better than everybody else. And that yeah. was born here in the city. And so there's so many stories like that where we as Atlantans get to be proud of what's born here right. because it all is new and, you know, and there's this new wave of, of new. And so it's, that gives me energy every single day. And it almost feels like, you know, when you and I were growing up downtown Atlanta, it, it slowly died. It was a desert. Like, it, you know, you ne- it, like it you was came, a desert. I thought Atlantic station, which for those that aren't from Atlanta, like is basically like was as far South as you would come. Be- and it was like just on the border of our down, our true downtown, but it was just North of that. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you came to go shopping in downtown right? and you go back North to your suburbs. Like you actually never got into the city. Yeah. Um, and even s- South of the city where so much has grown. Uh, yeah, man. And but, so but it almost felt like we had to go through that to get where we are oh. now. The city kind of had to empty out and start fresh and get really like the people who lived there, you know, when you and I were in high school were the people that really, really wanted or had to live here. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, you know, kind of just this, you know, raw Atlanta culture that now we're starting to build back on, which I think is really cool. 
Um, but I do want to give you an opportunity before we wrap this up. House Labs. Yeah. It's your baby now. Uh, it's your full-time mm-hmm. gig. While I know you still have some side hustles, I think that'll probably always be the case for you. Sure. But what's House Labs up to? What is the next uh, 6, 12, 24 months looks, look like for House Labs? Yeah, so kind of going back to one question you asked me earlier, like, well, like coming out of that year, non-compete, like why House and whatever. So we launched the agency very successfully 18 months ago, basically. Uh, and now we've basically... My wife, you know, I've, I've, I'm a part of five companies. Uh, and so Alice Labs is my effort and a lot of efforts um, from our board and other people who are in the business now to scalably help launch the next generation like adventurous business that kind of lives at this intersection of culture and commerce. So we believe that that's where like change can happen. Like we believe that you know, fundamentally, if we want to change this country, which is in great need of change, like we're going to do that through small business, uh, not, I mean, voting is a, is a, is an avenue, but yeah, I think we've, my, me, like I, I just have a, you know, a jaded view of politics in this country at this point in time and both sides of the aisle, like who really is fighting for us. Well, and we, we have this idea that we vote and then we turn responsibility over to the government. But small business doesn't allow that to happen. Small business, small business doesn't allow that to happen. Um, Small business, if you can help build businesses around individuals who believe in kind of changing the scene with which they're planted and they believe in elevating others around them and educating others around them and employing others around them in a diverse fashion, uh, then you can really change the culture with which that business is planted. And so that's what we're doing now in Alice Labs is helping to launch these businesses. Um, like I said, so we are we, we just launched our three-month accelerator, uh, if you're listening to this, in October um, of 2018. And, uh, you know, we have our first business coming out of the beta program of that three-month accelerator, which is getting ready to launch um, and very successfully. And, and then we have a two-year accelerator, which five businesses are in. And that's more of a two-scale accelerator where we partner with a business for two years uh, and take them from you know probably post-launch to somewhere in their growth curve to really kind of like pouring gasoline on their business from a right. content strategy creative perspective helping them tell their story in the right way and really help them kind of quickly rise above anyone else that's in their sphere and we do that we basically serve as their agency and we do that through again going into business with them and if you're interested i can kind of dive into that more later but um we we basically want to help meaningful business succeed and we do that through creatively hacking their startup curves sure so So, you know Lastly, I want, you know, not to undercut what you guys are trying to do at House Labs, but I have a small business or I'm thinking about starting a business in, yeah. Atl- in Atlanta specifically. I don't think anybody's equipped to give advice more uniquely on that maybe than you at this point. Um, that, that first thing, and it can, it can be brief. It can be super simple if you need. That first thing that you say to that founder, what is it? Why hasn't it started before? Why hasn't someone else made this business? Because you're not smart enough to come up with this idea. Like generally not smart enough to like have this like light bulb moment that no one else has ever thought of. So either 
you're uniquely placed in a market to be the only one that's feeling this tension. Like I was uniquely in this like startup and like agency world where I was like, this should exist. And there's not a whole bunch of me that exists in the world. There's some, but there's like, there's not a, there's not a bunch. Right. Um, so that may be one answer to the question. Like you're uniquely placed. That's, you know, Jacob's answer to why he believed he could start a music tech business. That's, you know, very unique in its sphere and there's nothing else that exists like it. Um, and that's his answer to why it hasn't existed. There's really hasn't been someone uniquely dispositioned like him to disrupt the market. Um, the other answer, and I think, you know, is probably the more common answer is it's cost too much money to launch that idea. And I think you need to be able to launch a business lean and inexpensively in order to test the market and make sure that you're on to something sure. before you put your family and other people around you or ask for friends and family investment and prove your concept, make a sale, have someone give you money for your idea before you dive head first. And I think, you know, I have friends that are d developing apps chasing the next Facebook. And while I, you know, cheer them on, I've been asked to invest in some of those businesses. And a lot of the times they don't own the expertise. They're not coders. They're not programmers. Right. So they need to pay for that service. So they can't even get to an MVP without spending a lot of money. And I just fundamentally believe that you should be able to test your idea and be able to answer the question why no one else has done it yet. That's all from our first guest of 2019, Dan Duncan. If you want to hear more about Oust or any of the companies that they're helping to launch, you can start at www.wearoust.co. Follow them on Instagram at wearoust.co. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you're looking to tell the story of your business, we would love to help. You can find us at www.connectatl.com. Special thanks go out to Chris Hilliard, Joshua Pruitt, and our families who make it all possible. Stay tuned to the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We are at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>